Episode 14 of Up From The Ashes, big sci-fi ideas from bad sci-fi TV. This week we're talking about the return of Oro, which first aired on December 14th, 1973, the 13th episode of The Star Lost. Written by Alex C. James, directed by Francis Chapman, starring our usual trio, Kier Dulay, Gay Rowan, Robin Ward, and guest starring Henry Beckman and Patricia Moffat. And today's guest host, she's returning, it's Parker J. Cole. Hey, Ben, glad to be back. How you doing? Good to I see you I am doing fine, doing great. Just excited to talk about the Star Lost. <laughs> yeah. So thank you for filling in this week. Uh, it didn't work out for the person I had lined up for this episode, and uh, I needed to find someone else, and I thought, you know what? Uh, Parker's seen all the episodes. I know she's seen this episode, <laughs> and she was fun to talk to the first time around, and... This is the return of Oro, which means it's the return of Walter Koenig, which means... It's the return of Parker J. Cole. Yeah, <laughs> it's the return of Parker. So, um, yeah. <laughs> and it's it's an interesting episode. It's, it is. It's one of those, it's kind of a borderline, you know, I could, I could throw it on the thumbs up side. I could throw it on the thumbs down side. Yeah. It's not boring when I say borderline, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. yeah. But before we get into that, let's, uh, for anyone who is just joining us for this episode, Parker, I'd like to introduce you. You are definitely a writer of many, many different things. Primarily, though, romance, and in that vein, primarily historical romance, uh, but recently had something published where it was historical romance, but sci-fi because there's time travel involved. So you are, uh, last time you came on, we might have, I think, alluded to this anthology, but the book is out now. It's called A Time for Everything, and Parker's story is the first one in the collection. I'm laughing, dear listener, because I had no idea my story would be the first one in the collection. And had I known, I probably would have made different decisions. But I'm excited to have been a part of the anthology. So very excited. It was such a, it's such a great book, gang. You got to go get a copy. Yeah, It's it's enormous, too. It's a 500 page yeah. book. There's 28 different stories in it. A lot of different styles, a lot of different uh genres or subgenres, I should say, of science fiction and fantasy. And just a lot of fun for me as an editor to be able to like pull it all together and read them as they're coming in. And uh, yeah, and we'll see what happens with the next one. We're going to do another anthology here. I'm going to be opening pitches up soon. And Parker apparently has already <laughs> been working oh, yeah. on her pitch. So, <laughs> oh yeah, I'm excited, you know, and I have to let our listeners know. So Ben, Uh, really is the one who spearheaded the project. And it is absolutely incredible to see someone herd authors because herding authors to work together in a creative capacity takes godlike power. (laughs) And Ben (laughs) definitely had it. And herding authors is herding tie-dye cats. And I told Ben this. And he did it. And we have a great anthology. I'm so excited to work with him again because he is a a guide and also has almost servant leadership type of uh, authority there. But no one 
is going to get off off of him either. You know, he's going to keep us in check too. And I can appreciate that in a man. So I want to thank you, Ben, for your leadership with this first anthology. And I'm hoping I could be for the next one. We'll see. We'll see. Um, I heard someone say recently, uh, doing this is like herding cats. It's a good thing I like cats. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, it it was fun. And I I was glad to do it. And um, partially, I mean, a big part of why I was glad to do it is just because of the end product once I knew where it was all headed. And so, yeah, mm-hmm. time for everything. It's out there. It's on Amazon, paperback, hardcover, and ebook. Mm-hmm. But don't forget, and you'll give us your website at the end, although it's easy. It's just parkerjcole.com, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we'll, 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 we'll it. say it again at the end. It'll be in the show notes uh, because, uh, like I said, Parker does do a lot of historical romance. She's written for a number of publishers, uh, traditional publishing, self-publishing. She's done it all. But the reason she was part of that anthology is because she's also a huge sci-fi fan. And I have to say, that's what I appreciate the most, you know, is, oh, is yeah. actually getting to, you know, talk about uh, Star Trek with you and talk mm-hmm. about, you know, the little, just a little geeky stuff. So geeks rule. Yeah. We rule. We were cool before everyone else thought it was cool. <laughs> so there is that. But the other thing is you're the one. When I talk about the people on this podcast, you're the one who said, not only said, I'm going to watch it all. You watched almost all of the series before we even recorded about your episode, which was the second or third one. I can't remember. Uh-huh. Now. It was the third one. Yeah. It was the third one. Because it's about the women, the women folk. And yep. uh, uh, what's her name? Uh, Cal- uh, Calabra. Calabra. Yeah. The goddess Calabra. Yeah. The goddess Calabra. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And so... That's another reason why I was like, I bet I can get Parker to come in, fill in for this episode, because Parker, I'm just going to throw it out there. Just let you know, there's been some people on the podcast who have decided they don't like the Star Lost. And yeah. oh, how can they say that? Yeah. How can they possibly say that? Do they have any idea how good this show is? Well, here's how they could say it is the episode that they got roped into was not a good episode. <laughs> so they're oh, just... They're- there's pearls before swine pearls before swine pearls before swine Ben. my gosh i loved almost every single one now were some of them brutal yes uh-huh. were some of them just stretching credibility to the farthest ends Ooh, of the, the earth mess. yes but this show is a great show and you have got to find your diamonds in a rough okay and this is one of those shows yeah yeah and this is why i'm i'm glad I don't feel like I'm wasting time spending 16 weeks or 17 weeks talking about this show because it's just been fun and oh, yeah. the conversations have been fun. And so even when there's a stinker of an episode, it's fun to talk about, but then there's also plenty of episodes and I would throw this into the mix. I, I you know, I, I could go back and forth about what I give it a thumbs up or a thumbs down, but this is a fun episode to watch. And the one problem is because it's basically the sequel episode to Oro's first episode, the, the alien Oro, that episode, I, I can't remember if I told you this or not, but that one committed the cardinal sin of, mm-hmm. of bad writing and that it was boring. <laughs> it was, it was not fun. It was not horrible, but it wasn't engaging at all. And it just, it, it felt like it was a waste of talent and, but then we bring him back. We brought back mm-hmm. Walter Koenig. We brought mm-hmm. back Mr. Chekhov himself. Yeah. And he actually has some things to do 
beyond kind of giving his version of what he would be like if he had played Mr. Spock. He's actually mm-hmm. getting into uh, there's an alien feel to the character, but it doesn't feel like he's trying to be a Vulcan anymore. No, it, it actually is. feels like he's a Spock version of Mud from Star Trek. <laughs> and Mud is a very ambiguous character in the Star Trek franchise, right? And so he's actually quite lovable. But Walter Koenig's Oro isn't lovable. He's very alien, in mm-hmm. fact. And that actually is a strength of his character when he returns. Now, the first one, we just got some guy in a bright gold suit. Okay? Right, right. So, and he kidnaps yeah. a chick and makes her have to go with him. You know, that's that first episode. But you guys got to listen to the podcast to get to, detail, to details about that. Now, he does mention her. Uh, I can't remember her name. It might be mm-hmm. in my notes here. But he does mention the woman that he took with her because he had to take her to his planet so she wouldn't die. Yeah. And and he mentions that she's still on the planet and, and they, they were able to help her. Mm-hmm. And so happy ending for, for, for her, that character anyway. from that first <laughs> for episode. For her anyway. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So... But speaking of mud, there is another character in this episode who's kind of mud-like as well. Yes. Who's kind of that yes. uh, uh, not quite criminal, mm-hmm. but kind of just out on his own, doing his own thing. Uh, I was trying to make heads or tails of some of this character development they had with this character. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. But mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I guess at this point, you know. If you're listening to the podcast, if this is your first episode you've ever listened to, we are going to spoil things completely. Uh, the Star Lost is something you can find on YouTube and, and watch all the episodes or just watch this one. Um, you can watch just the the Walter Koenig double feature, which it seems like if you look at the numbers uh, of, of views on YouTube anyway, there's a lot of people who are coming to the those Star Lost episodes to see Walter Koenig. And mm-hmm. um He's and both he's recognizable, likeable, Carol. And yeah, go ahead. I'm yeah. sorry. He's a, he's a likable guy. I he I was telling Nathan. Um, so Nathan uh, Marchand was on the other uh, Walter Koenig episode, and he is the only actor from the Star Lost that I've met per- in person. Really? He's also the only ap- actor from Star Trek that I've met in person as well. Jelly. But- Totally jelly. But he's very personable. I like him. And as you and I were talking about. Um, uh, I just recently watched him in something else. Uh, I watched him in the an episode of Columbo, uh, mm-hmm. which was the Shatner episode of Columbo. Yes. And the reason that came up was I was watching something and he came up as a YouTube recommendation because I was looking at some other stuff for like Harlan Ellison, I think it might have been because he's friends with Harlan Ellison. And he doesn't even remember. I don't think he was ever on set with Shatner. They're both in the same episode, but he was never on set with Shatner. And, um, he played a, a police officer that Columbo was kind of going back and forth with about mm-hmm. uh, the crime. And he was completely wrong. And Columbo was like, ah, are you sure? And then Shatner gives the guest star performance a of, lifetime. yeah, I of just, a lifetime. it was a great He's always episode. over time. He is always over the top. But in that particular episode, he really owns the role. And people don't give Shatner enough credit for his acting ability. Do you remember the movie back in the day that he played the racist in this town? Shatner was, uh, I think it's a black and white movie. Yeah. I think. Yeah. 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 He played this mm-hmm. racist and he tore the role up. I mean, he did such a good job. The man is versatile, but he got kind of typecast as Captain James T. Kirk. And we're very much aware of that. Same thing with Leonard Nimoy. Right. Mm-hmm. But 
going back to Walter Koenig, Walter Koenig had an opportunity to do other things. And I really like him in Oro because he's actually stretching his acting chops here, being a very detached, maybe Mm -hmm. um, alien entity uh, with his bright gold suit on that I think just screams fashion, alien (laughs) fashion, you know, screams it. And in this, he talks about how he's been studying humanity and studying human history and things like that to try and act more human when he's around them. And, and that's kind of a nice, it's different than Spock who is trying to not be human as much as possible. It's different than data who wants to learn about humanity because he aspires to humanity Oro just, I want to know what it's like to be more human so that when I went around these humans, I can be more like them a little bit, but, uh, this one the other role that I really like him in is is Bester from Babylon Five. And, oh yeah, yeah, and and that I think he gives some really uh, I don't know, chilling, I guess, performances where he's just this evil, evil guy. It's been forever since I've seen Babylon Five, so I have to look at that again. Yeah, no, he does a great job. I mean, he's he's the bad guy. He's a bad telepath. And he's manipulative and yeah, it's, it's fantastic. Oh, I have got to watch that now. I've got to watch it now. <laughs> yeah, I've got to watch it. Well, let's talk about this episode then. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about uh, the return of Oro, which spoiler alert, Oro is back. <laughs> <laughs> it says so in the title. <laughs> There's a moment where it's like, you're not supposed to know who it is. <laughs> But you already saw the title, so. (laughs) So we start the episode with someone is trying to break into a door. He's trying to break into master control. And he wants to get through the door to find out who's trying to keep him out. Like there's, (laughs) he just wants to get inside because that's what he does. He wants to get inside things and he also wants to get outside of things. He doesn't like to be trapped in things, but he wants to get into places where he's not supposed to go in. And that's the character trait I was trying to figure out. It's like, what is going on with this guy? But his character is literally defined by, if the door is closed to me, I want to go through it mm-hmm. so I can get in or I can get out. Mm-hmm. But that's that's his character. Yeah. Um, as he does this, he sets off an alarm and Devin comes, comes by and there's a confrontation with just... Lots of loud talking. Yes. What Lots are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing this. Well, don't do that. The alarm's going off. What? I can't hear you. The alarm's going off. It just, <laughs> and it's almost that bad. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you only got $4 to do the episode. I mean, what are you going to do? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. So he does not convince the man to stop trying to get through that door, and the guy gets zapped and gets mm-hmm. knocked out. Uh, Devin checks in with the host to find out more about this thing called master control. And he finds out that someone has assumed control of the arc and the computer gives him security clearance to go through the door (laughs) that the guy was trying to get in, Mm -hmm. but the computer just gives it to him. And so while Garth and, and Rachel are taking care of this man on the floor, Devin's going to go inside. And Rachel says, why are you going to go in? He says, because I'm the only one with clearance. So I'm going to go in. (laughs) And there's a lot of just circular logic like that in this episode. Yeah. 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 I like it because one thing, and I'm going to 
be broad for one moment. One thing I like about Star Loss is just the concept of this is a really good concept. And as each episode progresses, you start to learn more and more about the ship. You learn more and more about the different things going on and the different elements going on. And what's starting to happen in a very minimalist way for our current uh, offering here is <laughs> Devin is starting to become, it's almost as if had the show succeeded he probably could have been captain of Earthship, of Earthship. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, you know, and I yeah. could totally see that because he's learning, constantly learning, constantly in that mode of skepticism. And I could honestly see Garth as you know security officer later on. And then I don't know what Rachel's gonna do, but she was <laughs> gonna be there too. Yeah, but I could definitely see him becoming the captain, and I would have loved to have seen that on there. So when he takes control, you know. He, I know he's a start the show runner, but when he takes control, he really does own that a little bit in this episode. So he goes through because again, he needs to answer his questions because mm-hmm. he always asks. He, I'm always going to ask questions. I'm not just going to accept it for uh, face value. He's not going to do that. So I do like his character. Um, but towards the, you know, this is what episode um, uh, thirteen. This episode yeah. thirteen. So we're getting close to, you know, the end. You know, the, <laughs> the end. But you could really see how they could have really worked this. Now, uh, the guy trying to get into the 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 room. I, I don't know what his, to do with this guy. His name is Williams. Williams, thank you. I don't know yeah. what to do with this guy. Like, yeah. Why is he doing? Why is he? Was he one of the guys in the hallway? You know. What I'm saying? It, <laughs> what's interesting about him is I feel like the concept of the guy works in the sense of he's another wanderer, mm-hmm. like they are. You know and. But then they never give him anything to do no. in this whole episode other than, like I said, I mean, his character traits are, I got to get in or I got to get out. And he'll say these things out loud. Why yeah. do you want to get in? I got to get in. I, I want to get in there. Mm-hmm. Well, well, yeah, we'll get to a couple more moments like that for him. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's find out what's in, behind the door, because behind the door, <laughs> there's a robot. Yes. There is a robot behind the door. The robot is called Tau Zeta. It's the Vice Admiral Computer Monitoring Section is what what it does. She's very casual. I love that they don't give her voice any kind of robotic modulation. It's just Mm -hmm. a woman doing the line reading as a person. Yeah. (laughs) And and it's just this very conversational tone. But this robot design, this robot design is... You've seen the toys. They're the toys were about a foot tall, maybe maybe ten inches tall, and you would do flip the switch on the back, and it would walk, and it had these giant <laughs> clunky arms, giant clunky legs, giant clunky yes. head, giant clunky chest. I, I I don't know if I've explained it well enough. If you've seen it though, <laughs> you probably know what I'm talking about. But this robot was a toy robot blown up to be human size. This is the kind of thing that if you were making a movie about toys coming to life, this is the prop you would use. (laughs) This would be it. And this would be the leader of the toys that come to life. I think though, and I love, again, gold is the name of the game here. Okay. Lots of gold (laughs) in this episode and she is rocking it. But I will say I preferred her voice over the host computer. I prefer her voice over him. I prefer her face over him. <laughs> I prefer her <laughs> face over him. <laughs> I, 
Now, I like the host. I like him a lot. And I can I be of assistance? Uh, oh, gosh. I, I just, hate him. Like, and then you, he never really gave. He gave you just enough information to make you want to slap him. That's exactly <laughs> how much information he gave you. At least she gives you, and we'll find out a little bit later, she'll give you lots of information. She, <laughs> what's amazing, though, is just they have this very toy robot look. It's a very tropey robot. But then the characterization and the voice are not at all. And, you know, you would expect a a danger, Will Robinson kind of a voice from this design. But instead, you just get this woman who's just saying, well, hello, how are you? I am a robot and I am here to do this job. And oh, now you're here. And what do you want me to help you with? And she's just like I said, it's a woman doing a line reading. As a woman, not as a robot. It's almost like Robbie the Robot feminized with Marilyn Monroe's <laughs> voice. That's what I was reminded of. Nice. As, as that. You know, and I love Robbie the Robot. You know, he was the hardest working robot in Hollywood, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, he was in so many movies, so many shows. People just borrowed him. You know, he didn't have a union plan, obviously. So. <laughs> <laughs> he, he was in a great episode of Mork and Mindy. I don't know if you oh, remember yeah. that at all. But, I remember that. I remember um, that. Yeah, and, and <laughs> you know, there's, <laughs> I believe, I can't remember all the things he's been in, but. Mm-hmm. Um, he was in Columbo, another episode of Columbo. Yeah. But yeah, but anyway, go ahead about a Marilyn Monroe robot. <laughs> no, I I actually like that that description. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like I said, she's, she's casual. Devin then finds out about Williams from her. <laughs> Basically, he says, who is that guy trying to get in? Uh, oh, him? He's always getting zapped here and there. We, we've zapped him all, all over the place. And then he says, well, who's in charge? And she says, well, let me introduce you to who's in charge. It's Oro. Oro yes. is now the commander of the ship. And uh, he, uh, Oro, on the communications, then he's he's coming on his on his UFO. He, he's, he's not on the ship right now. But he communicates via uh, the view screen and he says, oh, hello, my friend. And I do consider myself your friend, Devin. And in a short while, I'm going to prove it to you. And of course, Devin is suspicious. Why is Oro returning? But he gets cut off before he can talk about anything. So he turns to Tau Zeta and says, he's an alien. He has no right to command the Ark. And Tau Zeta just says, why not? We haven't had a commander for 400 years. Now we have one. Yeah. And it's just, yeah. that's... Good enough Pick for your her. battles, people. Pick yeah, your battles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Williams wakes up and he tells Garth and Rachel a couple things. First is, he doesn't care who they are. You, you can introduce yourself, but I don't care. And second, he's going to get in that door one way or another. He's going to yes. get in that door. Yes. <laughs> but then yes. when Devin comes out of the door, Williams misses his chance to get inside. And it's, oh, I missed it again. Um and so we get some backstory to who Oro is and Oro docks with the ship. And this is where you get some great Oro lines here. Um, they uh, Rachel asks him how he's doing. My metabolic functions are at peak efficiency. And, <laughs> and then they ask him, well, what have you been up to? Uh, when there's time, I will tell you about my adventures. It'll be an interesting reminiscence for me and a tale of wonder for you. <laughs> And also, Adina is doing well and receiving treatment. But yeah. So why is he back? He's back to help them save the Ark. He's going to take the Ark to 
XR. His information about the Ark had a humanizing effect on him, and now he has everything that they need to fix the Ark. But of course, Devin doesn't trust Oro. And meanwhile, <laughs> Williams is all about this. Like, wait a minute. I can get off the Ark. Let me get on your... I want to get on your ship. I want to yes. get in your ship. Yes. And yes. Uh, and I want to get off this Ark. And he, you know, he reminds me of... If you remember Farscape, um, there's a character... He became a main cast character, but he kind of just showed up in like the season premiere for season three or season four. I can't remember, but he was just kind of defined by mine, yours, mine, yours. This is mine. That's yours. This is mine. This is what he reminds me of. It's just off, out, in. I want, I want through the door. I want to get in. I want to get in. And uh, our commercial break comes with Oro, though, saying everything that I'm going to do, I'm doing for the good of all of you. Yeah. 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 Doesn't sound pretentious at all. At all. (laughs) Not at all. It doesn't sound honest at all either. I mean, that's the, (laughs) he's, I mean, we know, Devin knows, but Garth, Rachel, Mm -hmm. and Williams, Mm -hmm. they're, they seem to be listening and, yeah, they're believing him. And I think here, too, with the reentrance of Oro, we get an opportunity to follow someone else other than the three. Mm-hmm. And we know what his character is like and just the evolution of Oro because he does change. And I think that has a lot to do with the writer who elevated Oro's position as his alien. Maybe they maybe they also saw an opportunity to really work it. Or maybe Walter Koenig needed money <laughs> at the time. We don't know. Yeah. So, Well... I mean, we'll talk about when we get there, but they definitely sure. set up. He's going to be a returning character. If this had gone into a second season, we probably would have seen him another two or three times. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he, and he was a good choice. I think he was so a good too. choice. Yeah, I think so too. Walter so, Koenig anyway is a, is a good choice. I, again, sorry for throwing in a Star Trek reference here and dear listener. I'm so sorry if you hate Star Trek. Cause I don't, but it's, it's uh, too late. We talk about Star Trek. Every single episode of this oh, good, this podcast. Good, good. So, but my favorite yeah. episode that he was in, my favorite episode of Star Trek: The Original Series, is the Apple, and that one Walter <laughs> Koenig had a girlfriend on that one. And of course, I'm a romance novelist and a romance junkie and a romance lover. And there are just you know eight people on the whole planet, right, serving Val, which is the mm-hmm. robot god of the planet, and they're watching Walter Koenig, you know, get sweethearting with his girlie. You know, like, what are they doing? And just the romance writer in me love that. And I remember being a kid watching that like 10 times on VHS. Yes, I've aged myself. (laughs) But yeah, so Walter Koenig, in this regard, this character could have really went somewhere if they didn't cancel the show. I think so. Yeah, no, I I definitely feel that way. And they were trying, I mean, you can clearly see they were trying to set that up. Yeah. Uh, I am curious how much of this was traces of Harlan Ellison. We talked about this in the other episode, but Mm -hmm. um, Harlan Ellison, when he created the show, wanted Walter Koenig to play Devin. Yeah. And so I'm curious how much of bringing Walter Koenig in was traces of that beginning time when they're pulling everything together. And and Harlan Ellison is like, okay, so you're getting Kira DeLay, the 2001 guy who starred in one of the greatest science fiction movies of all time, instead of Walter Koenig, the fake Russian <laughs> heartthrob from the Star Trek TV show. And well, can we at least get him in as a guest star, you know, yeah. and, and, and let's get it, let's get some contract signed. And then of course, Harlan leaves and, 
but Walters maybe signed for the, I, I don't know. I, I'm very curious. I did <laughs> between last episode and this episode, I did go on social media and try to find a couple ways where I can maybe try and send a message to Walter Koenig. I did not receive any kind of reply from Walter <laughs> Koenig, of course, but I did try and I actually did send him a couple questions about, uh, about the star lost. And I did this completely knowing I wasn't going to get any kind of reply. I mean, well, you never know, sir. You do never, never know. know. You do never, never know. know. He is. Uh, <laughs> he is going to be on the podcast uh, with. Uh, I can't remember the names. Garrett Wong, mm-hmm. and uh, the guy who played Tom Paris. Oh really? Yeah. So um, those not Richard. Um, I can't think of his name right now because he. Oh gosh, I know you talking about though. But the, those two guys from Voyager, mm-hmm. uh, they have their podcast. I can't remember what it's called. Uh, but Walter King is going to come on and be on that podcast to talk about Star Trek, uh, nice. the original series with them. Mm-hmm. So oh, yeah. that's, that's kind of cool. It's such a legacy. That's it's such a cool. legacy. And to see, you know, and Star Loss, I, I, I really do like Star Loss. I truly do. Uh, bad production qual and all. I love Star Loss because it's just a unique concept and just if Hollywood really wants to pick up a show and I'm just going to put that out there. If you really want to pick up a show and redo it, this is the one to do it. Cause you can satisfy almost everybody with this type of show. That's just, and it's not a planet. That's yeah. the nice part. It's not a planet. Yeah. It's not a voyage. You know, it's all of it. It's all, of it. it's a planet voyage, you know, and there's this, you know, whatever. And so I'm trying to bring it back. Cause we know we got to talk the episode, but there's yeah. so much about this show that I love. Well, let's come back from the commercial break then. Devin knows everything Oro does is for self-interest. That's the philosophy of his world. But Oro counters that they have nothing to gain from helping them. And they're doing this as kindness for kindness's sake. Meanwhile, Williams just wants to get out. He's he's <laughs> on board with Oro because he wants to get out. And this is where in my notes, he wants to get into places and out of places, but... Oro explains that he can get them around a friendly planet, but he won't do it against their will. Garth and Rachel are convinced. Devin is not. So they learn more and they find out about Oro's world. He shows them pictures from his world and it's basically earth. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's these Canadian wilderness, beautiful shots from some other Canadian TV show, but it's, it's earth. And, (laughs) Devin looks at this and says, that looks like stock footage from some other Canadian TV show. He just can't (laughs) believe it. But again, Oro says, I will not take you without unanimous consent. So I'm out. I'm I'm, I'm gone. And he prefers for his ship, for his voyage home. Another Star Trek reference, the voyage home. (laughs) And now they don't like Devin. Everyone's looking at him and saying, you blew the one chance we had of getting off the stinking arc. So (laughs) Williams, he's out too. Uh, he's also unhappy with the robot. I can't remember if this is the point. We, we can talk about it right now. Yeah. But yeah. he's unhappy with the robot. He cusses at the robot. How do we yes. know he cusses at the robot? And and this threw me for a loop, but it was hilarious once I realized what was going on. They bleep his dialogue. Yes. He cusses out the robot. They bleep his dialogue. And it turns out the robot is bleeping his dialogue in yes. real time. <laughs> It was so classic. It's classic. Because at first, when I was watching it on YouTube, I totally thought the YouTuber or whoever uploaded the 
series have bleeded it out. And I was like, wow, it's from 1970. They used that type of language back in 1977. You know, this is me. not on not on primetime television. No. Yeah. But... So I was like, who's bleeding out? And I said, oh, that's brilliant. That's yeah. absolutely brilliant. And the robot. And they, it's so meta because a robot mm-hmm. bleeps it out. You know that the show's actually bleeping it out. You know the guy's saying the word. So you got these multi-layers things happening yeah. in this episode. I mean, it was it was written into the script. Like, it was yeah. written to be, that's the gag. It's hilarious that they did oh, that. Yeah. You got to uh, see it, gang. <laughs> yeah, it just, I can't believe it. And I'm, I'm, I'm like... Like like you, I'm th- is this a joke? Whoever uploaded <laughs> this, did he do this as a joke? No, he didn't do this as a joke. It's the robot. The writer did it as a joke. The director did it as a joke. The the show did it as a joke. Yeah. And I was trying I totally to think. Loved it. I've seen that before. Mm-hmm. I've seen that real time bleeping of language being done before and i can't remember where it was and i was desperately doing google searches trying to find it the closest i could come and i remember this as well but it's not what i was thinking of is uh demolition man yeah where uh you get fined for cursing (laughs) and so they'll they'll be cursing and then they will um the the computer voice will say you've been fined one credit you've been mm-hmm. fined one credit you've been yeah. fined one credit and but, Sylvester Stallone just cusses out the machine yeah. and gets all the credits thrown at him <laughs> <laughs> and then when Sandra Bullock you know she comes into her own independent thought and she tells she tries to swear too and uh, she goes you could take this job and shovel it <laughs> he's like you can take this job and shovel it she's like yeah what's wrong nothing absolutely nothing <laughs> Yeah, but I like this. That scene was really classy. It was great scene, great gag. Yeah. Uh, just great production. That's, that should go down in history. <laughs> I really yeah. like that one. So what we do find out is that Oro has said he's not going to do this against their consent, but he reports back to the people from XR and he and says, we'll assume plan B now. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna go with plan B. Garth and Rachel are assuming the worst of Devin. They say, and this is super interesting. They tell him, you just want your life to have meaning. And if he helps us, it's all over. Yeah. And it's it's the kind of thing that I don't feel like Garth and Rachel would jump to because they know him. Mm-hmm. But it is like a legitimate kind of a, a um, accusation to make against someone but then I'm also thinking, as the people are writing this TV show, obviously Oro can't be helping them because if he helps them, it is all over. The show yeah. is all over. <laughs> right. And in all honesty, one of the things I like to look at when I look at something like this is how could you re-edit this to actually have an ending? This could be re-edited to be the ending. Like if they if they wanted to, there'd be some ways to do some cuts and some edits to where they do actually get home. Or not home, but they get to the, the planet and, mm-hmm. and he helps them get there. And there's some stuff in the next episode, but there's there's different things that you could take this full 16 episodes and edit into a two and a half hour movie that might be yeah. kind of interesting and, you know, end it with the shots where they're looking at screens and we see the Canadian stock footage of the Canadian wilderness and it's there you know, orbiting a planet now, you know, like there's, mm-hmm. there's some things they could have done here, but clearly Aura was not there to help because that would no. be the end of the show. And we yeah. are not done with the show yet. Not um, yet. And we find out that Devin, the, the Oro did lie and Oro, 
And, and Tau, uh, Tau Zeta actually says misinformed might be a better word than lied, but he showed them a fake planetscape. XR is cold, has low oxygen. It is yeah. not a good place for them. <laughs> and yeah. Uh, <laughs> but what's so funny about Tau Zeta is she knows this. That's mm-hmm. what makes it like really incredible. She knows that, you know, Oro didn't quite tell the truth here. And we would not have found out again if someone just didn't ask questions. <laughs> so. Yeah. So he he happens to ask the right question. She's not going to withhold the information if he asks for it. But it's this kind of cold logic. like, And that's actually one of the things that the character feels so humanized with mm-hmm. the voice and the yeah. vocal inflection. But then it is very much a computer. Mm-hmm. You did not ask for the output by giving me the right input. So I didn't give you the information you were looking for. And yeah, it's very yeah. relevant for now in today's current mm-hmm. society with mm-hmm. the disruptive nature of AI yeah. that has changed even since the last time you and I talked, how AI is very much disruptive. It's and, happening so fast. Oh gosh, so we fast. can't keep up. And you know, open, open AI just talked about AGI, you know, artificial general intelligence. They want to, they really want to create that, which would be, you know, Horrible, horrible idea. <laughs> it's Skynet gang. It's Hal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so Williams actually does go to get on the ship, and he finds that Oro is not on the ship. No, because Oro happens to be in the nuclear control area, and he's going to mm-hmm. fire up the nuclear reactors. Yeah. And Williams is upset. This is one of the greatest lines in the whole episode. Is that Devin? I think it's Devin. It says, "Williams, simmer down. <laughs> <laughs> simmer down now." <laughs> I love this show. I totally love this show. And then Williams is so erratic. He's a very erratic character. Yeah. It, it makes me wonder if they had another plan for him and it just didn't work out. Maybe production costs came through, but they got to pay the guy anyway since he's here. And so they just have him like running back and forth as this character. Because I thought when I first saw him come onto the scene, I thought he had left the people in the hallway. <laughs> you know, the people who mm-hmm. lived in the hallway for centuries. I don't know yeah, how yeah, that yeah. worked. <laughs> but, uh, oh gosh, the century hallways. Uh, you know, but yeah, keep going, keep going, because I don't want to so spoil it for you. Devin confronts Oro, and he says, you're doing this whether we want you to or not. And Oro explains that the Ark is a source of technology. And he has claimed it as salvage. This is not piracy. But Oro gets Devin off his back by telling him that Rachel fell and is hurt. And then right before we cut to commercial, as Devin runs to go help Rachel, he gets on his communicator and says, Tau Zeta, I've got some instructions for you, mm-hmm. which I thought was going to be, I want you to hurt Rachel. And yeah. it ends up not being that. But mm-hmm. one of the questions I had, though, Devin comes from an agricultural society. He comes from that kind of Amish Mennonite style of society. How does he understand salvage and piracy? How does he know like how (laughs) the laws of salvage, like I, I don't get that. I I don't understand, but yeah, he, he does, but they, well, they've been wandering the ship for a while now, according to the show. That's true. They're learning as they go. He could have seen some some tapes and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Or the host computer, can I ask you or answer (laughs) a question? You know, however he said it. Oh, gosh. May I be of 
assistance. assistance. <laughs> I, I couldn't stand that thing. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Hollywood, if you pick this up, do not have him. No, you can have his name, but do not have him. <laughs> so. <laughs> so we come back from commercial. Williams has finally gotten through a door without getting zapped. And yes. he immediately gets into an argument with Tau Zeta and he sees another door and he says, I got to get in there. <laughs> and <laughs> Devin goes in and they both go through that door because he's told Rachel is in there and Tau Zeta locks them in this room and, and Williams is trapped. He's like, okay, now I got to get out. I got to get out. Uh, but they're both trapped in there and Garth and Rachel, on the other hand, they go and see aura who has, he says, I've reconsidered. I'm going to help you guys now. Um, and the, it just, this, this is, this is the act where it's just kind of all over the place. Yeah. Williams and Devin, then they escape through some sort of service passage that there's a vent there in that room. Um, <laughs> Garth and Rachel don't think it's odd that the alarm goes off and Devin had to make an unauthorized entry into service passages. I don't know why they're not concerned about him, but like, why is he doing this? Uh, Oro gives the location of the arc to his people and he's going to fire the engines and um, he's going to do it in 20.3 XR time units, which is just like saying, hey, Parker, are you ready to record? And you say, yes, I'll be ready in five Earth time units. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. But then Oro takes a rifle to go after Williams and Devin. <laughs> and yeah, <laughs> so Williams and Devin are climbing down the service passage and Williams falls and I'm thinking he is dead. He's a goner. <laughs> he is not because no, there not. is down below them a small platform where the ladder jogs to the side. So you stop at this platform. You can stand. He lands on that. He's broken his foot. He lands on this ledge. Um, <laughs> but so they use the sets nicely here. They have the ladder that goes up and down and they go through the the vent vent shaft to get onto the ladder and it's open and they're going down. Well, then as they're going down, they go past one that's closed. You know, it's clearly the same set, but they change it just a little bit to have that wrapping effect of the, yeah. of the, the tunnel. But when he falls, he is, the shot is looking down mm -hmm. and it's a green screen. Mm -hmm. And it is clear that he is not laying on the floor <laughs> He is leaning against a wall. He is leaning against the green, I guess. I don't know. It is this really weird, like, because, but the green screen then allows you to have the long shaft underneath mm -hmm. him. Mm -hmm. But it's just this, so why are they shooting it horizontally or vertically? <laughs> well, they could. It's just this weird effect. They actually used a, a, another effect like that earlier where they're walking down a hall. And it, they're recording the conversation and they're just walking down the same section of hallway eight yeah. times Poor and they're thing. just cutting the conversation as they're going <laughs> and using the hallway as you do when you have a limited space, even Star Trek Next Generation, yeah. they would do that where they just would reuse the hallway spaces over and over again to make it so they could have a, a lengthy conversation as they're walking. But mm -hmm. um, they just did a better editing with Star Trek oh, Next yeah. Generation. You know. Actually, I mean, the editing was pretty... I, I did, when I on my rewatch of this, I was paying close attention to that particular scene because I wanted to see how they did the edits and the cuts. And they would do like a zoom on a character and he would say his line and then they would cut to the characters walking as another character answered the, the question. It was a pretty decent uh, 
a job as far as oh, like, okay okay co- yeah considering i mean they're, they're working with maybe 20 25 feet of hallway i mean this yeah. is not much space at <laughs> you're all you're not going far <laughs> no no uh, but they did a good job of just getting those conversations in and out and getting those lines out so mm-hmm. yeah yeah so <laughs> so williams is laying on this ledge in the shaft devin's like the wall <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> devin's like well i gotta get to oro so I'm out of here. <laughs> and William's like, hey, Devin, I want out. I want out. My character trait. You can't leave me here when I want out. Uh, Devin, not interested in helping Williams. This is between Oro and me. I got to take care of this. So he asked Garth to help. And Garth, he's like, will you help him? And Garth's like, well, if you ask me, we should leave him in there. Okay, I'll get him. <laughs> like That's it. <laughs> That's his whole role. (laughs) So Devin starts sabotaging the engines that Oro has fixed and Oro finds him and Oro says, as commander of this ship, you are sabotaging my ship. You are going to be executed. Commercial break. Yeah. And this went really like I did not expect that. I expected him to be mad, but I just wouldn't say, yeah, we're going to kill you now. I'm like, oh my gosh, is it really that deep? And when you kind of go like, it makes you wonder, maybe they just ran out of ideas <laughs> with the episode. I don't know. But yeah, so they come to the commercial break. So at the commercial break, he runs to get you some coffee and yeah. come back. <laughs> and do you remember that as a kid? The commercial break was the best thing for us because yes. that was we could run and get our snack. We could run and use yes. the bathroom. And yes. if we took too long... Our brother or sister would be in the room yelling, hey, it's back. It's back. It's back on. It's like, back I'm coming. On. I'm coming. I'm coming. <laughs> the <laughs> commercial breaks, you just knew you had like maybe two minutes tops yeah. to do whatever you had to do because we didn't have streaming. We didn't have record because most of the stuff we remember, we remember through repeats because they would mm-hmm. play it later the or reruns, you just had good yeah. memory or you were just like glued to the television, you know. And so I love the commercial breaks and I love how. It's every show during this time period was geared toward commercial breaks because of advertising and stuff like that. Every every show was doing that, and it, it still is. What's interesting is how how much what percentage of the half hour or hour is commercials now. Like you can take your time going to the bathroom and getting your snack now. You do <laughs> no not rush. have to hurry. No um, rush. <laughs> or or if you're streaming, you can just hit pause. Um, but it, it is a different different world than it was then. They're spoiled, these pausers. They're spoiled. Yeah. We didn't have to we didn't have pause. We had hurry up, <laughs> get back, it's on. And if you you hated missing that one thirty second, if you got back thirty seconds after commercial break, you hated it because wow. like, what did I miss? You know. Because so. if it's a good commercial break, you had a yeah. cliffhanger happening. You wanted to see what was happening next. And, yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And which then turned into when you had the VHS recorder. You're hitting the pause button on the commercial breaks. Like that yes. was the thing you try and get so good at. I'm hitting pause. Yeah. I am not moving. My thumb is <laughs> hovering over this button <laughs> to hit pause again. So you can start recording again at just the right moment. Yes. And oh, they don't know anything. These children have no idea. <laughs> no idea, Ben. The, 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 the technological advances we had back then. No idea. And the, and the, internal grit and determination that we had to have in order to get high quality recordings. Gosh. So we come back from the commercial break and, you know, Aura was going to just use his rifle. He was just going to shoot. 
Tau Zeta will not allow weapons in the nuclear control room. And she deactivates his gun. And so they say, let's settle this peacefully. So they're going to have a debate. Tau Zeta is going to determine who is more right between the two of them. And whoever loses, and she will be the one keeping score, scoring their debate. Whoever loses will die. It is a debate to the death. And it's a battle of wits for control of the Ark. And so, <laughs> meanwhile, Garth is helping Williams, who can't stand up because his toe is broken. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Poor guy. Poor it guy. was his foot. I wish that they had had a chance to take that joke a little bit further and be like, I broke my leg. I broke my yeah. leg. And then I broke my foot. I broke. And then, then it's my toe. Well, my, my toe. toe I think my toe is broken. Yeah, I broke a nail. <laughs> Just let's keep going. Why is this guy here? He has nothing to do <laughs> to with do. the plot. It's just runtime, not a neat runtime. <laughs> so the debate begins. Oro and Devin are each in recycling tubes, and points will create more energy for the recycler. And whichever recycler receives full power first will activate and recycle the person within and kill the person within. And it's a point counterpoint debate. So they debate. And Devin says, You lied. And Oro says, I lied to allay your fears. And Devin is losing and we keep getting these points from Tau Zeta and Devin is losing. Devin is losing. And um, there are some good things that get said. Uh, uh, Oro has a good point when he says XR is a close planet. You want me, you know, you don't want to go to this. It makes sense for them to not head toward the star that they're heading toward and just head toward, you know, this planet. Um, this is an interesting one. Uh, Devin says knocking out a drowning man. To save his life is justified, but we're not drowning. Ha! I and, love that. Yeah. Uh, Devin also says we need freedom to exercise our own free will. He's losing. Meanwhile, Garth is still helping Williams. Um, Garth. <laughs> I feel bad for for um, oh, Robin Ward or whoever plays Garth because he's yeah. just like... This is what I get to do in this episode. Yeah, Devin this is, is doing the speechifying and everything. Yeah. And yeah. I have to go and help this guy who has nothing to do with the plot. But. Right. <laughs> plot. What do we call it? Plot armor? <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Yeah. Plot armor. <laughs> so the, uh, the, the main thing is, and I don't know how Garth doesn't win with this, but he says, you want the arc because it represents resources. That's why you want the arc. That's why you're saying you're going to help us. Uh, and he, he actually, his points are getting closer, but Oro is winning. <laughs> and, and at one point, Oro just says, the debate is over, Tau Zeta. My score is higher. I win. <laughs> and, and Devin's like, wait. And I wrote down the speech. This is his speech. This is his Captain yes. Kirk speech. Mm -hmm. Robots, aliens, and do-gooders must give us back the opportunity to control our own destiny to be able to rise to our own needs and find our own solutions. We can no longer rely on past achievements or intellect, but we have to use these very special qualities, which are very human, our ability to adapt, our resourcefulness, our courage, and yes, even our own dreams. These things human beings have primitive or not. And there's some things in that speech I just don't understand. Like, like I don't get that part, 
but it's it's great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the primitive or not, that's how you end it. Like, no, end it with these things human beings have. Just end it yeah. there. Yeah. Uh, why make the distinction about primitive versus not? Um, preposition was have a preposition. No, I was joking. <laughs> <laughs> just joking. Just joking. Uh, when he says, um. <laughs> our ability to adapt, our, our resourcefulness, our courage, our dreams. Like these are, this is a great speech. This feels like a speech that could have been a speech Captain Kirk was giving to any number of aliens who were making judgment on the human race. Even Picard. Yeah. I yeah. could see a Picard doing a variation on on this speech and as he he's debating Q, Q or With something. Q. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. And, <laughs> but yeah, he wins. Yeah. Tau Zeta says you win. Oro claims bias and Tau Zeta admits bias. You know why? <laughs> because people made her. And exactly. now Devin has command. He demands though. This is where, since he, they were playing for control of the arc. Devin has control of the arc. That's what you get if you win. If you lose, you die. But since Devin has command, he demands that Tor, uh, that uh, not Tor, Tau Zeta does not kill Oro. And releases him. And then Devin demands that Oro leave the Ark. Meanwhile, Williams has to get out of there. So he's he leaves. Yeah. Like, and what? then William leaves again. <laughs> what is he doing here? Again, you're like, why are you here? <laughs> Just kind of do that. <laughs> I do want to say this about Tal Zeta. Because, again, she's a very interesting character of her own. And... Um, one thing you mentioned earlier when we were talking was that cold logic of the mm-hmm. computer. So she sounds very warm. She is styling fashion-wise in her gold uh, body with all the shimmer and the shammer. But she's cold in her logic. And that can be a threat later. And it became a threat because it didn't matter that people made her. She's like, well, I don't want to use nuclear weapons, which kind of... You know, you kind of, well, you know, weapons. And I'm like, well, that kind of defeats the purpose of you killing somebody still, you yeah. know. But it, it's it's very interesting had they really developed, because they could have took Williams out of it, maybe just focus more on her deciding mm-hmm. who, to, mm-hmm. who to obey because you do have the more highly superior Oro, who's technologically more advanced than even her own creators. Uh, they played around with that um, alien covenant, not covenant, it was Prometheus. Yeah, it was mm-hmm. Prometheus. No, it's, no, it's Alien Covenant. Alien Covenant with um, David because he wasn't all that impressed with his creator because he was the android. Yeah. yeah. He was not impressed with his creator, right? So they really could have played with that a little bit. That probably would have made a more interesting story to me. To me. I, I think you're right, though. I mean, the whole Williams thing, I just don't get... I mean, I the benefit of the doubt I, I would give would be maybe they were just pushing for comedic yeah. value. Yeah. Maybe most of the shows lacked that comedy. He was supposed to yeah. be the funny, the funny character. He was supposed to be. I want to get out of here. I want to get yeah. into there. I want to get. And, and it is funny, but I feel like it's funny. I'm laughing at that character. Yeah. I'm not laughing. It's almost like it's forced. Like it was a forced yeah. element to the show. Unless, because this is getting close to the end of the show. Unless in season two, he became part of the crew because he's wandering all the yeah. time. You know. I I feel like he, they would have probably crossed paths with him again, but mm-hmm. yeah. What, what's he going to do? I want to get in that room now. <laughs> you know, right. like it's kind <laughs> of we one played note. this game before. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we have one last bit to this episode, and that is that Oral reports mission failure. 
And he is told, you are not allowed to come home. You must go back to the Ark, and your saucer is going to be destroyed. And so now Oro is back on the ship, but he has been classified as a fugitive. Mm -hmm. And he is wandering the ship with his own mission to bring the Ark back to XR. Mm -hmm. And it ends with him, kind of almost that freeze frame smile, like, hey, I'm a fugitive, I'm back. And the <laughs> next really, return and, of Oro never happened, but no, but it would have been interesting. That's why I say the show for those who don't get the, the show, you know, those people who you've been on a show, they hate the episodes, you know, swill. Okay. But I think the show really has potential. It really had potential and it actually inspired me in so many ways like sci-fi should do. You know, mm-hmm. and with the turn of Oral, though, you have this interesting character that really could have been developed because now he's a future. I mean, th- that's what I'm trying to say. They built his character like in the first in the first episode, we see him. He's not really canvassed a lot. Right. But now you gave him something. Now he's a fugitive. Now he's a free agent. Yeah. Now, he has something know. to do. Yeah. And yeah, they clearly are setting up for there's going to be another episode with Oro. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. you know, if they got to, it's not even did they get to season two. If they could have finished season one, with, yeah. there would have been maybe a third episode with him. But oh, for sure, for sure. Yeah. But yeah, I loved it. I loved it, and I, I like most of. It. Well, I won't lie. <laughs> I won't lie. A couple of you were like, "Help me." <laughs> but I love the show. I do love it. Yeah. So well, let's talk about our guest. Our guest cast. Um, Henry Beckman plays Williams. And Henry Beckman, he was working up until 2002. Um, he was in a TV miniseries called The Johnson County War. Uh, he was in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, the TV show, mm-hmm. which I loved that show when that was on. Uh, he was in The Sentinel, The X-Files, Poltergeist, The Legacy, uh, The Outer Limits. These are all American shows filming in Canada. <laughs> if you can see a, <laughs> a kind of uh, a, a through line there. Ray Bradbury Theater. Uh, this is one uh, we've talked about the littlest hobo um, connection in every episode, but this is a, this is a show, another show I remember from my childhood that I actually remember episodes of this one. Littlest hobo. I remember the show. I remember the dog. I don't remember anything about any episodes, but this show, this Canadian TV show, the beachcombers, which lasted for decades. I mean, I think this is a 20 year old show. Um, but that show I remember really, really well. But he was on The Beachcombers, MacGyver, uh, yeah, uh, Fame, the TV show, <laughs> Matt Houston, <laughs> Quincy, Trapper John, mm-hmm. uh, The Littlest Hobo, though. Yeah. He is our Littlest Hobo connection. Rockford Files, Welcome Back, Cotter, Life and Times of Grizzly Adams. So, I mean, he was Hollywood as well. He did Hollywood yeah. as well. But um, he... He just did a lot, a lot of things. And then really our only other characters, we have the uh, Tau Zeta voice. Mm-hmm. And the Tau Zeta voice, um, the one thing, and I really wanted to go back and watch the movie to see if I could find her. Her name was Patricia Moffat. She was in Tommy Boy. Oh, my gosh. She played a character named Mrs. Nelson. I have no memory of any character names other than Tommy. But um, I wanted to go back and watch. I didn't have a chance, but I wanted to like, I want to find her. I want to see her in Tommy Boy. (laughs) Um, But she was also in an episode of Littlest Hobo. Another 
old show from Canada that I remember called The Cosmic Christmas. Mm -hmm. She played the mom, uh, did the voice of the mom in in A Cosmic Christmas, which was a Nelvana show. Uh, It was a sci-fi Christmas uh, special that is, it's pretty good. Mm -hmm. Um, So anyway, she didn't do a lot, but, but she did do that. And then when we're looking at our writer, Alex C. James, he uh, he's known for the Star Lost, and so IMDb IMDb always under the name of the 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 person will say they're known for, and they'll yeah. list a couple of the things that they're most famous for. It says Alexi James is known for the Star Lost. You scroll down, and you see his credits. One episode of the Star Lost. That's oh it. Oh my gosh! This oh my gosh. episode is his one thing, and our director. Francis Chapman has done a lot of different things, uh, but well, when I say a lot, I mean seven. <laughs> but, <laughs> well, it could be a lot. But, you know, Alex only did one. So yeah, no, he but he he directed multiple episodes of of a couple different shows. Oh, okay. uh, a show called United, a show called Adventures in Rainbow County, a show called Matt and Jenny, and a show called Telefrancois. So I mean, he. He has a, a limited career, but he actually did like when he would get a, a gig, he would do a couple different things. So well, that's good. Yeah, yeah. And there was one more credit, and that was um, Philip Stevens. Philip Stevens Stevens is known for the Star Lost, and I don't think this credit is real because Philip Stevens, uh, they don't have on IMDb, don't have his birth date, <laughs> but in 1973, he was the Tau Zeta operator. I'm oh my this gosh. is the guy who was inside the costume. <laughs> inside the costume. That was in 1973, but then in the only other credit they give him is in 1925. Well, gee. In a movie called <laughs> Satan's Sister. And so I don't know where was the typo silent? is. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if Satan's Sister is actually from 1955. Or if he, it's a different person with that name who was in this movie, uh, I don't know anything about it uh, other than <laughs> some very brief things. But apparently, the same guy who was like inside, I can't imagine, like, even if, let's say he was 10 years old when he did Satan's Sister. <laughs> I mean, he was born in, in 1915. And that means, I guess he'd only be 60. I guess you could put a sixty a sixty year old in that costume, but I'm I'm thinking you'd have a younger person in, in that. Suit. Well, he wasn't going far. I mean, she wasn't uh, walking that true. much, that's you know. True. So, and most of it's a debate at the end. I mean, was yeah. Everyone needs a little cash every once in a while. <laughs> I was very curious, and, and this is something I was watching to see: is like, how did that thing move? Like, I couldn't tell if it, if like the feet were open, mm-hmm. and so the person's feet were just on the ground, and they were just mm-hmm. kind of moving it. And maybe there was on some, on some casters or something like that. Could the be. legs didn't move, but the, the body would swivel and turn. And I was I was curious, like, how did they? You know, what kind of movement mechanism did they have there? Yeah, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's awesome. That's absolutely awesome. But like, like we said, gang, you know, if you haven't watched The Return of Oro, watch it. And if you haven't watched the first part of The Return of Oro, watch that too. Because um, I, I, like I said, I enjoyed it. So I definitely enjoy it. And then I do have my VHS copy yes! of. Let me see. The, Let me see. <laughs> oh, I love the it. Alien Oro. This <laughs> is the movie version 
for cable TV for the 80s that they did where they put the Alien Oro and the Return of Oro together to be okay. a two-hour TV movie. Okay. About yeah, to say, oh yeah. my gosh, did they Don't be too it? amazed. <laughs> well, I am amazed that you have the VHS. <laughs> they did five of these TV movies using 10 of the episodes. So six of the episodes didn't get, get packaged like this. But they did this with a lot of shows. They did this actually, and I was... A little confused at first when I was like reading magazine articles about Planet of the Apes and they're talking about these TV movies that they had. Well, it turns out they were just taking two episodes of the Planet of the Apes TV series Mm -hmm. from 1974 or whatever it was Mm -hmm. and repurposing them so that you had a package of movies because the Planet of the Apes movies were popular in syndication. Yeah. And so this was like, well, now we have the five Planet of the Apes movies and five more Planet of the Apes movies mm-hmm. that are, and, and you still have Roddy McDowell playing uh, a character in, in there. So, yeah. And now um, we have Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes coming up. Coming now. soon. Oh, I man. am very excited to see a monkey's talking in English. It is doing wonderful <laughs> things for me right now. I'm, I'm telling you though. They, <laughs> they evolved to talk English. I mean, boom, they baby, did. Boom. <laughs> they did. I, what I've heard though, is that this is not, I mean, it's it's part of the same continuity as the that trilogy we just had, mm-hmm. but this takes place a couple hundred years after. Yeah, and so it's actually like the the apes have their society, and it's mm-hmm. one of those things with lost technology. Yeah. Uh, actually, like we talked about with uh, the goddess Calabra, where yeah. you had the the priests and they had the 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 lost the blueprint, the manual, blu- <laughs> the blueprints that they couldn't read because they knew it was special, but they didn't know what it meant. And and it sounds like there's going to be a little bit of that going on where uh, Caesar is so long gone mm-hmm. that the things that he had learned and maybe even passed on to his his children um, are lost, and so yeah. like his values are lost. And um, and it, I, the it world, sounds interesting. The world around them too is still active. There's still active things happening too. Mm-hmm. It's just overgrown. And then when you find technology, which makes complete sense, I love the idea. I love the idea for sure you know literally you got apes typing on computers you know so it'd be yeah. interesting to see you yeah. know but we won't get into that this is for oro this is oral yeah. show it's not well show. we're done talk- <laughs> we're done talking about oro i think I oh think good the, good good the, yeah, yeah but yeah. i just had to put that in i'm very excited to see the movie for sure yeah so and, and there's some other tv shows that they've done that with but this is um yeah and i was able to find it fairly cheap these these vhs tapes set on ebay <laughs> Because nobody's wanting it, nobody cares anymore. Um, unless the unless the EMP, EMP comes through from the sun, and then everybody would want the VHSs again. <laughs> seriously, and the DVDs. I mean, we got the DVDs. So, um, yeah. Well, oh, Parker, we've already said it. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, normally I ask my my guest hosts, <laughs> "Are you going to stick with it?" I mean. <laughs> You did. Yes. <laughs> You've already seen all the episodes. You've been there, I've done that, twice. got the t-shirt. Yes. Yeah. I seen them all um, twice. Yeah. yeah. So you you stuck with it, uh, <laughs> but that just takes us to the last question, which is where can people find you online? Where can people find your writing? And you know, I'm going to throw this at you. I didn't prepare you the, for this, uh, but we've already talked about the anthology. Obviously, I want people to buy that because we want that to do well, so we can do more. Mm-hmm. But what would be the book that you would say, what book, because you've done some series as well. I mean, you're, you're Amazon. There's just, uh, 
You, you have more than I do. And, and I have a lot. I have a lot of stuff on Amazon because I would do comic books and individual issues are showing up there. Mm-hmm. But yeah. So where, where where should people start? What what book would you say? This would be a good one to start with if you want to know um, your style and your... Well, over time, I've, I've, I think, and I have to preface this seriously with, I think over time I've gotten better at writing. Um, with that being said, the book... I enjoyed researching was the book called The Butcher's Daughter because I was discovering a slice of life in antebellum USA. I did not want to do a slave narrative. I'm done with slave narratives, but I did want to have people of color and I didn't mind highlighting struggle. And I discovered a slice of life in 1840s Black Gotham, which is the term for New York. Gotham was term for New York, um, but it's Black Gotham. And these were elites before the more prominently known Harlem Renaissance. So these were called the black aristocracy and they are in a period of time before the civil war and they're mingling with very rich people in New York. Racism was not, it was there. Yes, but it was not as virulent as it became after the civil war and during reconstruction and Jim Crow and all that. And so I created a soap opera, if you will, the beginning was so proper. The first book is the butcher's daughter. The second book is the butler's daughter. And that's coming out next month. And oh, nice. uh, the third one will be the builder's daughter. And then I'm going to switch it up to an Irish daughters of Gotham. The first is black dolls of black Gotham. The second will be Irish daughters of Gotham. The third will be Chinese dolls of Gotham. And the fourth will be Italian dolls of Gotham. As I go through the immigration of New York up to the 1890s. And so that has been my most fun research project. However, it is murder because I'm a stickler for trying to keep to the historical details. Hmm. And I had to look up architecture because I wanted to walk you through New York in 1849. And it ends with the riot of the Astor Place Theater, which is a real thing. It's kind of like getting worked up at a Justin Bieber, <laughs> <laughs> a Justin Bieber concert. but you know, uh, lots of good stuff happened. And it's just New York is full of so much history. And it was a free state. They did gradual, gradual manumission of the slaves. And so that's how they can get property and all this stuff. And just lots of just lots of stuff is going on here. And I got it from a book called um, Black Gotham by Professor Carla Peterson. And I wrote to her and I let her know that I'm thankful for her story, because it inspired my story and that's that world continues to build and build and I have so many ideas for that where I actually had to get organized and I had to do a family tree because <laughs> because of that but if you want to know my writing um that's the one the butcher's daughter all right all right and available on Amazon correct Amazon and it's in paperback and ebook all right and then people also can go to your website parkerjcole.com yeah all right Parker, thank you so, so much for joining me and for filling in. I appreciate no that. Problem. And I have no last... life, so I can pretty much do this all the time. So, <laughs> What I need to do is get you on Strangers and Aliens so we can talk oh, just oh, sci-fi in general. Yes, just I will love it whenever general, you're ready. So. Whenever you're ready. <laughs> so. All right. Well, everyone else who's listening right now, thank you for spending time with us. Definitely check out parkerjcole.com. Oh, and don't forget... If you want to support the podcast, go to patreon.com slash up from the ashes podcast or go to buymeacoffee.com slash up from the ashes. 
you can support the podcast there and uh, we appreciate that also you can follow the podcast on facebook.com slash up from the ashes podcast so all that said again thanks for listening and godspeed